When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who were subconsciously biased towards Aiden in Sex and the City because of my big fat Greek wedding. I'm Hannah Leach. I did not realize that the word unconscious and subconscious were that close. I was like, damn. I didn't we're read going. the full sentence. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2002's My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Playtone and Gold Circle Films cordially invite you. It's a mosquito bite. It's a zit. To the wedding of the year. She's ready! And the romantic comedy of the season. Mia Vardalos, John Corbett, Lainey Kazan, Michael Constantine, Gia Carides, Andrea Martin, and Joey Fatone. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? That's okay. I make lamb. My big fat Greek wedding. How are you, Audrey? I'm well. Um, I've recently eaten some goldfish. Ooh. Um, oh, and you will appreciate this. For the first time ever... I have bought myself a full-size, um, like, cardboard container can- thing of cans of Diet Cokes. Full-size. Nice. <laughs> Wait, that's the first time ever that you've done that? Yeah, I always buy those mini ones that are, there's oh, yeah. like, there's like six and they're just small because I never want to carry, I never want to yeah. carry that all the way home, of course, but right. I was at um, Walgreens yesterday to pick up a prescription for my infected wisdom tooth hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's an escalation Sorry, from guys. last time we talked about that. That's what yeah. happened? <laughs> Um, it's just, there's granulation tissue. Oh, girl, not granulation <laughs> um, tissue. But it will be gone. Like, I just have antibiotics now. <laughs> I, I was there getting that. And I thought to myself, what could be a better reward for being here <laughs> and doing this? So I Good have you. many Diet Cokes. For anyone who doesn't know, like, our mother... And our parents, in general, probably instilled an addiction 
for Diet we're Coke. A we're a Diet Coke family. We're also like a Cherry Coke Zero type of family. Yeah. Are you a fan of Cherry Coke Zero? I am. I was, and then I got I got burnt out on it because that's like all they buy. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't do that. So I'll do either just Diet Coke or Coke Zero. I always just get Diet Coke. Josh didn't like Diet Coke when we first started dating and then started living together. And I was like, that's You got to change, buddy. <laughs> I know. But then slowly over time, he like came over to the side of being fine with Diet Coke. And now he'll drink it. So it's I don't know. Good. I mean, I get if somebody only, if somebody really loves drinking or not really loves, but like prefers yeah. drinking regular Coke. I get that they're not like the fan club president yeah. of Coke. But like, I get that it tastes different and probably mm -hmm. a little chemically. Yeah. But, you know. Okay, anyway. But it's not like regular Coke <laughs> tastes like it's straight from a fountain in a natural setting. Like it's... No. Anyway, so now that we got that out of the way, we didn't even get to our hot take yet. Okay, this one comes from Anna Sunderman, who I see in our DMs and our likes all the time. Like we know her. She asks, is manifesting all it's cracked up to be or is it glorified goal setting? I think our audience in general would be very aware of this whole kind of culture of manifesting things for yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that it, I think, I mean, if we're just going to be really blunt, I think it is glorified goal setting. That That is the point. I think for the most part, usually it's good to manifest something that is within the realm of possibility. I'm thinking about that statement. <laughs> like, like, be, like, for example, like a bunch of my, like if any of my friends or myself is like going for a job and you like are waiting to find out if you got it or not after mm -hmm. the interview, like everyone will be like, ah, like I'm manifesting for you. Like I'm sending, yeah. I'm sending that energy your way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's something that is in the realm of possibility. Like that, the chance of you getting it is concretely there. You're saying that manifesting things that are possible is is valid? Well, I'm just saying I don't personally manifest things that aren't <laughs> possible. Well, but is manifesting the act of attempting to manifest or is it when it literally manifests? It's the it's the energy that is put toward the thing happening before it actually happens. Have I successfully manifested something? No. <laughs> but do I attempt to manifest? <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, so. how is anyone manifesting anything in this era? Manifesting is glorified goal setting. To, to me, it's just like, it's like, okay, mm, this is, I'm not saying that astrology is fake, but it's kind of like, if you believe in it, it can shape your life. And I feel yeah. like it's manifesting is the same thing. Yeah, and it's like more likely to happen. It's like if your mind is set at attention for something, it's like yeah. confirmation bias. Like it's more likely to happen to you. And then you will be reinforced in that belief that you manifested something. I'm wondering why Anna is asking this question. Has Is she surrounded by people that are like earnestly manifesting stupid shit all day long? And she's like, I need someone to shut down this manifestation concept. <laughs> like, I'm curious where this came from. So Anna... Let us know. 
why you're asking because yeah. I'm curious. Also, we're not spiritual experts. Like I, I, there's a part of me that's like, I wonder if this is based in some sort of like cultural context that we don't know about. And in that case, throw everything I said away. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't actually know shit about formal manifestation. <laughs> About classically trained manifestation practices. Yeah. yeah. Like, I did Is not get a, a bachelor's. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, what Anna. bad Greek wedding. Thank you for asking, Anna. We appreciate you. When we decided we were going to do this movie, I thought it would be really fun to ask my friend from college, Artemis, to give us her thoughts and opinions on the movie because she is from Greece and she is very Greek and her whole family is. She's very Greek. We're not going to play her response until the second half, but I just wanted to intro the fact that that's going to happen. And she's going to tell us, you know, the discrepancies between true Greek being a true Greek and then this Mm -hmm. movie's portrayal of being Greek. (laughs) A true Grecian. (laughs) Yeah. I... Wanted to look into how this film came to be because it is mm-hmm. interesting. The star of the film, Nia Vardalos, she wrote a one-woman show about her Greek family. She was uh, a part of Second City in Chicago, and all of her friends always told her, like, oh, you should write something about your family because you're always telling these stories. And so she was like, okay, I'll do it. So she did. And then um, Rita Wilson, who is a Greek-American, also an actress, also married to Tom Hanks, (laughs) Um, saw Mm. it and got Tom Hanks on board with it. Basically, she saw it and she was like, this needs to be a movie, like, Mm -hmm. now. And Tom Hanks is also a really (laughs) prolific producer as well Mm -hmm. as actor. And so they got on board with it. And whoever they were shopping it around to originally, like, studios they wanted to make it Italian and they wanted like Sandra Bullock to be in it mm-hmm. um which that sounds like typical studio behavior but Rita and <laughs> Nia were like nah because that's not what this is that defeats the purpose yeah and um so they ended up getting it independently financed for five million dollars. Very um, interesting. And they got Nia. Nia was able to be the main character, which is great. And mm-hmm. it worked out. It really worked out. Uh, and we'll really get into how it worked. It truly worked out <laughs> later. Yeah. So My Big Fat Greek Wedding was released on April 19th, 2002. And it was rated PG. I've added the rating into this <laughs> just for fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's um, a good idea. Yeah. It was directed by Joel Zwick. And when I first looked at his IMDb, I was like, why is this so dry? And then because <laughs> in the in the known known for it's always movies. So then I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I scrolled down. It's just tons of TV shows, tons mm-hmm. of sitcoms, such as Casey Undercover, Girl Meets World, Fuller House, Dog with a Blog, Jesse, Shake It Up, Good Luck Charlie, Sweet Life on Deck, Family Matters, Laverne and Shirley. And he directed the Fat Albert movie. <laughs> wow. So, it was produced by Gary Getzman, who produced Mamma Mia 1 and 2, The Polar Express, and Where the Wild Things Are. Um... <laughs> Clearly, Greece is important to him. 
mm-hmm. um, Mamma Mia one and two. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there could be a connection there. And then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson also, I think, executive produced. And mm, what is Tom Hanks known for? <laughs> <laughs> Castaway, Big, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story. And he has produced at least 59 projects because— wow. That's what was listed on his IMDb. Rita Wilson is known for Jingle All the Way, Sleepless in Seattle, and Runaway Bride. And her producing career consists almost solely of movies set in Greece or having to do with Greece. <laughs> because she is Greek, a Greek-American. And so I think she just feels really seen and like wants things to be made about Mm -hmm. Greece. And then it was written by Nia Vardalos, who is the star as well. And we'll talk about her more in the cast section. Okay, so now we have log line. Everyone in the Porticalos family worries about Tula. Still unmarried at 30 years old, she works at Dancing Zorba's, the Greek restaurant owned by her parents, Gus and Maria. After taking a job at her aunt's travel agency, she falls in love with Ian Miller, a teacher who is tall, handsome, and definitely not Greek. Tula isn't sure which will be more upsetting to her father, that Ian is a foreigner or that he's a vegetarian. (laughs) And then the tagline is, Audrey. Love is here to stay. So is her family. (laughs) The only tagline. Yeah, that's it. It's pretty good. So cast. Nia Vardalos plays Tula. And okay, her situation post this movie is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, She's done a lot of TV spots, but also she's in this movie called I Hate Valentine's Day with almost entirely the same cast as My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, Like John Corbett um, plays her love interest again, but they're playing different characters. And like, it's just like very similar. Um, It rings to me of like, these people had this unbelievable whirlwind experience with their Mm -hmm. first film together. And then they've just were like bonded and they were like, they didn't want to make things with other people. And so that's kind of what I get from it. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also a failed, my fat, my big fat Greek (laughs) wedding, my (laughs) um, TV show called my big fat Greek life. And it's a sitcom, and I watched, like, a minute of it, and it was really bad. Is it the same cast? Yeah. Dang. What's so bad about it? I mean, I watched, like, a minute of it. It got canceled, so it it lasted about five seconds. I see. Um, And then what I didn't know, and I'm, like, proud of her for is that she was nominated for the best original screenplay Oscar in 2003, which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Surprising not to be shady, but we'll get to that later. Michael Constantine plays her father and he is known for Thinner, The Hustler, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 1 and 2. And he started acting in 1959 and he actually passed away in 2021 so sad sad, but I want to just give a little tribute to him in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Lainey Kazan plays uh Tula's mother 
Yeah, Maria. And um, for us, we know her from the Bratz movie, okay? <laughs> I wrote that down. She <laughs> plays Bubby. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then she's also known for Beaches and however you say that other thing. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. It's definitely not giggly. Um, (laughs) It's G-I-G-L-I. It's definitely like Italian. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Andrea Martin plays Tula's aunt. She is known for Black Christmas, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And she has done a ton of TV spots. And she was Penny's mom in Hairspray Live in 2016. When you're saying TV spots, do you mean commercials? No, like, um, like him, not, it's not a cameo really, but TV spots, meaning like Mm. a one-off on a TV show. Of course, Joey Fatone is in this, which is hilarious (laughs) and weird. Um, and he has barely anything on his IMDb, but Mm -hmm. my big fat Greek wedding one and two on the line. And then soundtrack credit for bring it on, which is funny. That's good. We've got John Corbett, who plays the love interest, Ian. And he is most known for Sex in the City, Serendipity, and The Messengers. But to me and for our audience, I know that it's really Sex in the City that people know him from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Ian Gomez plays Ian's friend. And he is known for The Drew Carey Show, Felicity, Norm, and Richard Jewell. So, as we already discussed, a $5 million budget. Box office opening weekend, this movie grossed $597,362 in 108 theaters distributed by IFC Films. But then, worldwide gross, this movie has made $368,744,044 to the dollar. That much money. Um, And it is the highest grossing romantic comedy ever. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, because when you're comparing the budget to the Mm. worldwide gross, Mm -hmm. the the difference there is incredible. Yes, it is. And because of that, because they were able to make it for so little, it's the highest grossing rom-com ever. That makes sense. That in mind, let's get into these reviews. The critic score is 76%. Pretty high, honestly. Very high Mm -hmm. for a rom-com. And the critic consensus is, though it sometimes feels like a television sitcom, my big fat Greek wedding is good-hearted, lovable, and delightfully eccentric with a sharp script and lead performance from Nia Vardalos. A few more just one-off critic opinions. Someone said, perfect sleepover movie for tweens and moms. Hey, perfect. (laughs) Someone else said, this is the kind of romantic comedy you wish you saw more often. And the third person saw said, Miss Vardalos has loaded her charmingly fluffy script with cute idiosyncrasies in place of actual characters. <laughs> Dang. So here's Roger Ebert's take. At this point, it's becoming routine. I have to look it up every time. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what he says. Everyone in this movie looks like they could be a real person. The romance involves 
not impossibly attractive people, but a 30-year-old woman who looks okay when she pulls herself out of her frump phase and a vegetarian high school teacher who urgently needs the services of supercuts. <laughs> Five minutes into the film, I relaxed, knowing it was set in the real world and not in the Hollywood alternative universe where Julia Roberts can't get a date. The movie is warm-hearted in the way a movie can be when it knows its people inside out. High praise. Okay, so now moving into the audience score and opinions. This movie earned an audience score of 73%, which is weirdly close to the critic score and very rare for these movies. So that's interesting. And um, we have some audience takes here. The first one is, as a Greek person, this movie was only partially accurate and therefore irritates me. <laughs> Next we have... I'm not even Greek, and at times I felt like the overtone of the Greek stereotypes was a little heavy at times. However, Nia does a great job in her role and is one of the few believable performances. Not terrible. <laughs> and then, this movie is definitely a grower. I wasn't really sure the first time I watched it, but a couple more views helped me understand bits I had missed previously. It is totally charming and has scenarios that relate not just to Greek families, but to so many other families in the world. So finally, since we just talked about 2002 celebrity gossip in the last episode, mm -hmm. um, I thought I would just compile a list of movies released in 2002, and I cannot believe... <laughs> The amount of sleepover cinema that came out in 2002 <laughs> is actually wild, and I had no idea. So here's the list. Okay. A Walk to Remember, The Hot Chick, Spider-Man, Sweet Home Alabama, Made in Manhattan, Punch Drunk Love, Lilo and Stitch, Big Fat Liar, Spirit, Ice Age, The Wild Thornberries Movie, Hey Arnold, The Movie, Spy Kids 2, Air Bud, Get a Clue, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Treasure Planet, and finally, an entire plethora of weird Disney sequels, Cinderella 2, Peter Pan 2, Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, Peter Pan, oh, I already said that, Peter Pan 2, hold on, Peter Pan 2, Return to Neverland, Tarzan and Jane, which I hadn't even heard of. I think I may have known about that. Michael Eisner yeah. had too much power, clearly, in 2002. Yeah, clearly. Okay, you mentioning spirit just unlocked a memory for me. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> well, we were in Boston, right? Yeah, so this was in our one year when we lived in Boston. We had this babysitter named Kate, and she took us to go see Spirit colon The Stallion of Cimarron in <laughs> theaters. And she like brought her boyfriend. And I remember it was like, it ended up being like a lot of drama that we went and saw Spirit with our babysitter. But she also took us to the craft store and let us like buy a bunch of fun things to like, like, I remember I got like a wooden plaque and like a wedding cake topper and some fake roses and like glued them all to the shit. I was literally in first grade when this happened and I was living, but mom was not living. Okay. So I remember kind of a lot about when I first watched this. Um, but what do you remember? All I remember is that um, our grandma Irene had the movie on VHS. Yes. And we watched it there. Like, I'm I'm almost positive that's the only time I watched it, um, yes. pretty much. That was great because 
when we were at our grandma Irene's house and like our parents had left to like go do whatever they were going to do, we could eat just like the best snacks (laughs) ever. (laughs) Yep. And like, I just remember feeling like I was going to explode from how many chips I was eating. We would... I remember so clearly like mom and dad would leave and we would watch like it kind of varied based off how old we were. But it was like that weird Barney live action movie, uh, Sleeping Beauty on VHS. That was like Mm -hmm. the main place where we watched Sleeping Beauty probably. And then like the Amanda show and like Nick at Night and stuff like that. Also, our grandpa was like really into NASCAR and stuff. And I remember eating like an insane amount of um, sweet chili Doritos and like listening to the sounds of NASCAR. There's a lot of like food memories over there. Yeah. Like today I was in CVS and I saw this like really ye old container of uh, French onion dip. And I was like, that's taking <laughs> me back to grandma's house. Like that's what it was like. But, Every uh, time I see brisk, brisk yeah. iced tea. Oh my God. <laughs> that's okay. It. I had a couple other things. I'm just checking what I wrote. Um, so the things I remembered about the movie before rewatching it quickly were just, I remembered the Windex, obviously. That's like one of the most memorable things. I thought that they like made out in the church. That was something in my mind. I thought that it was potentially my first PG-13 movie because it kind of has that vibe, um, but it's not. It's rated PG. But I did always feel very grown up watching this movie for some reason. Yeah. Because it's not about kids. It's not a kids movie, really. Yeah. We could keep going, I feel. But let's take our break and come back and talk about our findings. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. That's my first time welking, welking. That's my first time welcoming everybody back to the second half. And it went off without a hitch. It went so well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, 
So now we're going to listen to my friend Artemis from college. Just Mm -hmm. give us all a briefing on what's correct, what's not correct in representing the Greeks. (laughs) Um, And of course, there's a bit of a difference here because these are, I mean, the parents are definitely born in Greece from Greece, but like Tula is first generation, maybe? Yeah. So it's like a little different in that Artemis is from Greece and her family still lives there. So like culturally it's like a mm-hmm. little different, but yeah. So enjoy listening to her. I love my big fat Greek wedding. Um, and I used to watch it a lot growing up, most probably because I am Greek. So it's funny and I resonate with it and stuff. I have in the past told friends of mine that are not Greek to watch the movie before coming to visit me in Greece so that they're not as overwhelmed when they're around like my family and my cousins and stuff because Greeks do tend to have a big family with lots of siblings and cousins. Like I have three siblings and we have so many cousins. I meet new cousins and aunts and uncles every year that I've never met before. That part of the movie Um, is quite true. There are a lot of stuff that are over-exaggerated and misrepresented, like the plate smashing and how they say oppa every two seconds. Like, we we don't do that. The last time I said oppa was probably like two years ago. um, And it was when someone almost fell off a boat or something. And smashing a plate is, um, yeah, we don't do that either. That only happens in like touristic restaurant in Mykonos where you dance on tables and you smash plates. Um, Or if you go to this thing called buzukia where it's traditional Greek dancing and uh, singing and you throw flowers and you smash plates. But other than that, we don't really do that. Oh, or how like everyone's surname is from a fruit, like Portocalos. I don't think I, I know someone that has a surname after a fruit. In terms of a lot of people having the same name, like Michali or Adoni or Alexandro, like especially guy names, like they get used a lot in the family. Like in my family, there's like six Michaels and like four Leos and stuff. Tula's dad is constantly saying how he's always like, he's always asking the question, you know, give me any word, any, any word in the world. And I show you that it comes from Greece. The Greek language is like the vocabulary list is quite huge. It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And Greeks are very proud of that. A lot of words do come from the Greek language. So I find that funny because Greeks are very proud of that. But the whole thing with the Windex, where he's like, vale Windex, we don't do that. <laughs> I don't I don't know why he was doing that, but it's funny. The thing with Tula's uh, grandmother, where she keeps trying to escape because she thinks that she's been kidnapped by Turks is really funny because of the very well-known dislike between the Turks and the Greeks. Yeah, so basically I love this movie. It's very funny, but as I get older, I guess, and the more I watch it, the more I understand how a lot of things are over-exaggerated and misrepresented. My favorite part of what Artemis just said is when she said, 
I haven't said Opa in like two years. <laughs> yeah. That is my favorite part. Yeah, because she's like. And then she said, she was like, I haven't said Opa in two years. And it was probably like when someone was falling off a boat or something. <laughs> I was like, that is the perfect sentence for it's you like, to say in this wow. moment. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wish that was my life. Damn. Yeah. I like, don't have a heritage. I Right. Exactly. It's. It is kind of something to be admired. It's like something to be jealous of. Just like having that. Le- yes. Having cu- culture, like actual culture. Having like a real cultural identity. Can you even imagine? No. <laughs> like we I mean, are like the whitest. We are the plainest white people. American. Ever. Not even religious. Not just. <laughs> Just plain. Just like vanilla. (laughs) Just even vanilla is like too nuanced. It's like unflavored. It's like oyster cracker that needs more salt. (laughs) (laughs) Unsalted oyster cracker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With water. That's it. Meeting her family and like being around her um, during college. I always or like hearing her speak Greek. I was always like, oh, my God. I want to have culture. <laughs> You're like, what a sleigh. But I can't. <laughs> so what are your few good things then? Well, it's not that I have few good things. It's just that I have yeah. more critical things. Um, okay. So I liked the Princess Diaries vibes in the beginning. I know it's just pre-makeover, but like enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um I really enjoy it when people make things that are obviously autobiographical. Like, it's like auteur auteur vibes a bit. Yes. I'm obsessed with Vula, the aunt. Mm -hmm. She is an icon. I love what she looks like. I love how she acts. She kind of reminds me of um, our family friend Gwen a little bit. Uh-huh. Like similar vibes. The part in the beat, like near the beginning where her mom, Maria, like t- basically tricks the dad into thinking that it's like a good idea for her to go to school. Mm-hmm. But like the way that you find out is just them cutting to her, like walking out of the college after having signed up. It was like the perfect example of like showing versus telling hitting very well. I was yeah. like, yes, this is satisfying. Yeah. I was so grateful. I was so grateful when they were in the restaurant and she doesn't lie about dancing Zorba's being owned by her family because there was a second where I thought that that was going to be it. And I was like, if this whole movie is about her trying to hide the fact that she's Greek, I'm going to be annoyed. Yeah. I really, really loved the part where Nikki reveals the bridesmaid dress. Like she like whips around and is in this like ridiculous dress. I was like also living for her. Um, And I just love big happy families in movies. They're very fun to watch. And why is it so sad when they hug at the end? At the wedding when the dad oh, and, yeah. and Tula hug? I was like... <laughs> Damn, this is sad. Like yeah. the look on his face is so like genuinely emotional. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, wow. Yeah, he this really is impactful. He really did that. <laughs> he bodied the role. I kind of wrote this before I knew or remembered that Nia, this whole project is hers. Like mm-hmm. it's not like they casted her for her particular look or whatever. It was because she 
started this whole thing. But I did appreciate mm-hmm. that, like, she ended up playing the main role and she actually looks her age. Like, she yeah. looks 30 and she is 30. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. a good thing that you don't see that often. Um, yeah. Especially when, like, nowadays, you know, teens are played by 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds are played by almost no one because there are almost no 30-year-old roles. Yeah. I thought there was really good character exposition in the beginning, like, without hitting you over mm-hmm. the head too much. Mm-hmm. Like, that entire setup of of Tula being at the register in the restaurant, everybody's kind of walking all over her, but like running around and Mm -hmm. she's like not being heard. The aunt and the parents are over in the corner talking about how she hasn't married yet. And then she walks out by like the dumpster and just sits there in like in silence for like a few seconds. That, that's really good. That's really good character exposition. We understand everything about her that we need to in like a super short amount of time. Yeah. My other thing was that Andrea Martin and Lainey Kazan are gifts from God. (laughs) Literally perfection. Like (laughs) perfection. Yeah. All of their scenes together were so fun to watch too. Mm -hmm. Because they're just like scheming and fun. But I did just have one, there's one notable thing that I wrote, which is just, I am surprised, but very happy that this has not been made into a musical. I'm sure that attempt has been made. (laughs) I'm sure the attempt has been made and I don't want it. So I'm glad. And honestly, you should be scared that you even said that out loud. You might accidentally (laughs) manifest it. I might. I might manifest it, which I don't want to have happen. In the beginning, everyone's like, she's ugly. She's frumpy, whatever. But when I was a kid, I did not remember her as being ugly, like at all. Like I was like, I didn't even remember that there was a makeover aspect of this movie when I started watching it. I was like, she didn't look the way I remembered, but I just thought that was weird. Wait, so what's what's your point there? Basically just the makeover seemed random to me. I was like, why does there need to be a makeover thing? What was weird to me is that the makeover sequence, you know, it's not like somebody's giving her a makeover. It's her deciding that she wants to go to school and like slowly like like wearing contacts and like putting in yeah. what do like doing small things it's like, like that meme of the school of like the student morphing into the bimbo yeah you know? <laughs> it's so it, it's strange it's really confusing too because she's talking about how she feels that she never fit in with the white girls with blonde hair as a child uh-huh. and like uh-huh. she wanted the um sandwich like the like wonder bread sandwich blah 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 yeah. So she does these things to like, it's not even like changing herself. It's just like putting in contacts. Like it's not like yeah. that serious. She looks essentially the same. They did do some weird things to her in the beginning to make her look worse. I feel like they like, yeah, I feel like they put like weird foundation on her and just like some yeah. strange things. But then when she's at the college, she like sits down with this group of white blonde girls at a lunch table and she has mm-hmm. a sandwich. And I'm like, is this, yeah. is this good for you? <laughs> like that's, I was super confused by that too. Cause they like never come back to that note. Yeah. 
I was like, this is just like a weird detail to have in there. It's like, wouldn't you expect at some point that she would maybe like share that anecdote with Ian and he would be like, you don't need to be like that or yeah. something. It's well, like, why didn't by, that come back? Like by the time she's 30, you know, it's not like the only people, she lives in Chicago. It's not like the only people around are white girls with blonde hair. Like right. she could have found like a, like, I understand she wants to distance herself. She wants to like feel like her own person aside from her family and culture. Um, yeah. But still <laughs> at 30 years we old, have questions. like at 30, you just would think that that would be less important to somebody. Yeah. But she's also like still living in her parents' house and stuff. Yeah, she's like under underdeveloped. Like as a why person. isn't that more of a topic? Also, like, did she not go to college at all? Has she literally just been working at dancing Zorbas for the past 12 years since high school? I I think that's sort of the the inference the implied being made. situation. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not, but I kind of felt like they were doing some real Italian Greek crossover in this casting because like Joey Fatone is like such a I feel like he I don't even know if this is true but he gives me Italian American no his last name is Fatone Fatone. Like, like he's Italian so like there there is some just crosshairs I don't know like I was getting I was getting a little confused and I'm sure there's also just like cultural similarities between Italian Americans and Greek Americans. Like, why not? I'm sure there are. Yeah. But um, just like seeing Joey Fatone, I'm like, he's not Greek. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't really get Ian. I feel like we know nothing about him. I was like, you're a teacher and you're hot. (laughs) But I feel like he is shallowly rendered in the same way that we always complain about women being shallowly rendered. And I was kind of just like... I have questions about you. I didn't get why through like the first half of the movie, why Tula was like so weird about everything. Like when she was dating Ian, like telling him about her family. It's not like her family's a bunch of cannibals or like ultra conservative religious people. I was just like, can you just like not? Like to me, I don't get it. I think it makes sense because she's been so isolated for so long and she has built something in her head out of this situation that realistically should not be a big deal for her for her to talk about of course but like Mm -hmm. it's her it's her number one like obstacle in life like that she has built this up in her head to be a problem she's also kind of a doormat personality and her family is not like that so I guess I see what you're saying yeah and I mean the whole thing is over exaggerated a, a bit, yeah. but like, I think that, I think it lines up for her character to be like weird about her family. Her character annoyed me in that way. Ian also kind of looks Greek and is white. I felt like the scene where she went over to Ian's parents' house for dinner, it, it felt like a scene where when you watch something where it's like a non-white person going to their white couple or like their white partner's families for dinner and they like, commit a bunch of microaggressions. The fact that they're both white just makes it a little weird to watch, which I have a feeling we'll probably get into in your stuff. 
but that was just really weird to me. And really my main qualm with the movie is that secretly the plot stops halfway through and it just becomes a montage of them getting ready for a wedding. But because it's so fun, it's like fine. But Mm -hmm. like the plot basically stops. Yeah. Halfway through. Yeah. Because nobody, once he's baptized, um, nobody's trying to stop it. Uh, no. It's just, it's nope. just fine. I hated this exchange. <laughs> Why do you love me? Because I came alive when I met you. But my family, let's just leave, blah, blah, blah. It was just so not grounded in reality and it was also in the hallway right outside of his classroom I was just like what the fuck is this scene I thought that was so weird and it's the stuff like that and the plot secretly stopping halfway through that makes me wonder how this did get nominated for best screenplay because it's not that good of a screenplay I also wrote that school thing in my worst category I just read it and I forgot what I was referring to but yeah that's what I was Mm -hmm. referring to Um, I was like, you look crazy right now. Like, why would you show up to his place of work? (laughs) So weird. Like, I thought that that was, (laughs) that's a red flag, Ian, her showing up for something like that. I think the, you know, the the look of her getting nominated for it and the identity politics, the identity politics side of it could have definitely played a role. Also, the fact that it was that economically viable the fact that it literally blew every other rom-com out of the water when Mm rom-coms were in their height of popularity is like huge and compared to every other rom-com this is the most tasteful thing um like the (laughs) most auteuristic the most real down to earth like if roger ebert is singing its praises um Mm -hmm you know that what it's being compared to is just so, (laughs) it's so derivative. Well, there was like that one moment where like they had the one bridesmaid, like who wasn't super skinny, like making eyes at the friend of Ian. Who's also not skinny. Right. And it was that, that whole, that trope of like, just because they're two people who aren't rail thin they like have to like be in love or whatever like they they are like a thing yeah well I wrote that down I wrote down lol random fat phobia because it's like the fat bridesmaid looks at the fat friend who's a guy and the fat friend like looks away in like disgust borderline and I was just yeah. like didn't like, need to have it why the you fuck didn't did need you it. throw that in there what yeah it, yeah, it was just bla- it was like a, a throwaway, a complete throwaway. Yeah, joke. White people in general, like I'm talking about, like the non-cold or like the like what we how we were describing ourselves, Us. like yeah, the non-salted <laughs> oyster crackers of the world. Yeah, and like this takes place in like modern day. Those people are not discriminating against um, white. European Americans no no they're just not like and I kind of understand if like the family being so intense yeah is the thing where they're like they're well just, we're like, just not used to this but but that's not how the the actors that are playing Ian's parents don't play it as being overwhelmed they play it as being disgusted yeah they play right exactly they could have if they had changed that negative emotion from disgusted to um 
just like really out of their depth or like yeah. <laughs> something like that. But I, I feel like for the most part, if somebody were to walk into that situation, they would, they might be shy, but they wouldn't be like mad to be there. Like, I think it would be oh, fun. Totally. Like it, it looks so fun. Yeah. Like the whole way the, the Ian's parents act makes no sense. And I also don't get why Ian never, we never get a scene of Ian, like addressing his parents being yeah. like, why are you acting like this like I would I feel like that would have been such a nice scene if like maybe they left up like that part the party that uh Tula's parents had and it was like all four of them and he's like why did you guys act like that and he like defends her honor or something yeah I, like, I'm that surprised that didn't happen yeah I just don't get it um that really bothered me and it also just contributed to Ian having like no personality mm-hmm I think, yeah, somehow through watching this, I, like, wasn't fully picking up on the Ian not having a personality thing. But I don't I don't know what I was, like, distracted by. But I definitely was <laughs> distracted by something to not... I just wasn't, like, focused on him, really. I was just, like, not... Yeah, I mean, well, because the movie's not actually about him and Tula. It's about Tula and her dad. yeah. So it makes sense. But to me, I like thought that it was going to be way more about him yeah, and their relationship going into it. And then it just totally wasn't. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I don't know. This comment might just be not relevant. But like it, this is a movie like for the heteronormative structure <laughs> for sure. Because mm -hmm. she does, yeah. you kind of think she, she wants something untraditional. That doesn't, I'm not saying she like, anything about her sexuality, but just in general, like she wants to travel. She wants yeah. to know who she is. Like, how does she go from, from being like basically an underdeveloped 30 year old in her dad's mm -hmm. house to being a, like somehow fully like self-actualized, like Greek yeah. woman, <laughs> Greek yeah. American woman in the span of like, you know, seemingly like, a few months. There's just like some missing fibers in this one, I think. Yeah. Getting married that fast wouldn't, to me, that would not be a sign of her like being self-actualized or like growing up. It would actually be kind of the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I actually wrote down seems really fast to get married. Uh because it is. <laughs> it, it just is. And, but like, it's like, well, her family, that's what they want to see from her, which is kind of weird. So she's still giving them what they want, sort of. Yeah. I mean, she's still doing what she generally, I mean, the beginning, the opening quote is like, Greek women are supposed to do three things. Fall in love with a Greek man, marry him, have Greek children and feed everyone. So yeah. she's going to do two out of those three things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I also just have to say that watching this movie really took me back to my um, Russian immigrant community era, which I don't know if I've ever talked about that on this show, but um, my college boyfriend was very, 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 very Russian, like extremely Russian, like uh, not even first generation, like lived in 
Russian-occupied Ukraine, I think, or in Kiev until he was like seven and then moved to the U.S. And so I've been in a lot of like big Russian party situations where like everyone's speaking Russian and like eating Russian food. And I'm like the white, unsalted oyster cracker there. And it's obviously it's not the same like Greek, Russian, not the same thing, but it's still like white, uh, like white immigrant groups. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting. Like, I think that even though obviously it didn't work out relationship wise, like the cultural experience of being immersed in something like that. I also was in a Russian Jewish wedding at one point and that was a whole experience also. Um, I do think that it like very accurately renders that experience. And also like even the way the house is decorated, like with all like the kitschy, like lacy kind of grandma-esque items, like Mm -hmm. that reminded me a lot of my experience in all of these different like Russian homes. Yeah. It, there's just a vibe. I I don't know. Yeah. Like one great, there's a lot of good there, as much as we're like picking it apart, there's a lot of good elements Mm -hmm. in this movie for a rom-com especially, but like you can tell that there's just a lot of um, authentic things pulled from her actual life that yeah, and like are we love accurate. That. Yeah, and I do. Yeah. And I love that she wrote this and it was able to star in it. Like that's more than you could yeah. ask for. In that sense, it kind of reminds me of Bend It Like Beckham. Mm-hmm. Like in the personal touch of it all. Yeah. Um, it has a similar thing. Is this movie good? I don't tend to really feel that passionately about rom-coms mm-hmm. um, pretty much ever. But if I had to, like, if I had to rank all the rom-coms, it probably would be in the top three. I agree. Because, like... But not for the rom. No, not for the rom. <laughs> not for the rom. I think they're good enough, but it's not really about their relate. It's not really about the trials and the tribulations rom. of their relationship. No. It's a rom-com, not a rom-com. Yeah. Emphasis you know on calm. Emphasis, Emphasis on the calm. Calm in two ways. Coming of age and comedy. Uh. <laughs> yes. Very agree. It's a rom com com. Okay. Well, I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I was excited to rewatch it because my baby brain did not know what to make of it at all. Okay, people. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Oh, you can watch this movie on HBO Max. It's there. So if you want to go watch it, give it a little watch. And Comment, uh, like, and subscribe. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. If you've made it this far. Oh, yeah. We haven't asked. We haven't asked in Well, forever. it's in our credits every week, but oh. it's very canned. So here I am asking for it again. Oh, yeah. Buy our merch. No please. one will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's over it actually I have a bunch of students that really want to buy it and I'm like hand over your $20 I think I told you this last time yeah they still haven't followed through I'm like hello get it together yeah poor (laughs) (laughs) okay let's be done now bye bye 
Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of the show is Michael D'Aloya. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily... That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.